So, so, so besides most, most likely both of us agreeing to walk the path of love and spread the love, um, I want to bring in the word discernment. So I'm much younger than you, obviously, but when I started my own soul search, which by the way was also sparked by reading Hermann Hesse's uh, Siddhartha, when I was 15 or so. And then my father was wise or wicked enough to put me in front of a fully realized, whatever that means, but very powerful master who was a Benedictine monk and a Zen Buddhist, both in the Rinzai and the Soto tradition. So the mala I'm still wearing from him, his name was Williges Jäger. And like uh, Benedictushof near Würzburg, where my parents still live, is like the biggest retreat center in the whole of Europe. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm just mentioning this because I want the two of us to engage in a dialogue of what I think has mainly happened, certainly in Europe over the course of, I would say, the last 20 years. So... Capitalism is very smart and clever at usurping everything and turning it into a commodity. So not everything is bad of that in terms of like access and spreading the word. And we're now having, you know, uh, at the tip of one click on YouTube, you know, the biggest masters of all lifetimes, but also hence, you know, us, dialoguing and taking discernment into the middle of the room is I also see a lot of phony gurus and with the third wave of psychedelics also a lot of very young people that for sure had a godhead oneness emptiness whatever experience and then they already show already up as masters or teachers and this even gets worse because the whole mechanism of social media rewards those who are selling themselves better so what i mean was that the spiritual market out there now we're recording this in july 2022 is like vastly different than let's say uh 45 years back when you founded um omega so um, I want to less focus on the, on the problems and more on the solutions. How do you make sure that when you invite the people or you get a recommendation from somebody to discover a new teacher, what are like your vetting criteria? Because I certainly in, internally have this gurus list you know the famous gurus list from the guy who wrote like the only uh, biography about uh, Bhagwan like Sri Rajnesh Osho you know um, who, who has a guru list you know so which is very interesting when you go into these thousands of names so I know you have been working with some of the biggest names of the last century right which I mean what an incredible gift that is to to your soul and to, to, to providing that wisdom but um where where is your own discernment clicking in well i i don't know where it came from but i believe discernment something that i've really developed 
perhaps from all the varying experiences I had of doing this, because I was basically the back of the house. And it was always interesting to see the difference or not the difference when the speaker was in front of the curtain and then dealing with me behind the curtain. And so the question becomes, when is the person true, 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 true? It doesn't matter who they're talking. So I remember when we had our community in Purvalai Khan, a Sufi teacher, just an incredibly sweet, deep being. He wanted to raise some money, but I remember we, we would go somewhere, he was trying to raise money, but he would talk to the person who was most interesting, not necessarily the person who had the most money. And money has changed things, marketing has changed things, and I would often find that some of the best teachers we would have at Omega were ones who drew far smaller crowds than the ones who got the big crowds and became very well known. Now there are some very, I don't want to say it wrongly because there are some very well-known teachers that I have the highest respect for. So you find that somebody who really, when you meet them, who they are is not different than when they're on the stage. And that to me becomes really important. It's when is somebody in their being in such a way that it, the circumstances don't change who they are. And so too many are trying to be this there, but the minute they're with their kids, the minute they're, the, you know, they don't get paid enough or there's something. So it's how do we be really in the same attitude with whoever we're talking about? Not when you're talking with somebody who's famous and then you turn around to somebody who's working for you and you, go like that and I've seen too much of that and and to me this is the the problem at the, at the time right now between the introverts and the extroverts of the world everybody who's just trying to push ahead and it's a very difficult one to deal with especially as media and marketing rewards in the terms of money not in terms of happiness not in terms of contentment but as, as we know, one of the problems, and, and you raise the area of the psychedelics, and we do see this regaining, which I think is extremely positive of the world of psychedelics. I was involved in it back in the 60s, but even then, as all of these medicines came around, I, I spent time in the jungles in, in, uh, in in South America, and actually I have three wonderful sons and brought them each sort of as rite of passage to spend time in the jungle to explore with ayahuasca and the medicines. And one of them still leads retreats here and is, this is his path. So I have great respect for that because we need to be, in, in a way, we humans get so individualistic. When we look at the plant world, our nature world, the nature world is we. It's not so focused on I. We've gotten to the point where this I nature is what's, as opposed to it's we, it's us. It's why I love Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, there is this feeling of we. When I look out at the nature world around me, there's this feeling of the we. And somehow we have to, 
find our way back to that. And that to me is where um, we have a conundrum now because it takes a lot of work to do that. But that's where, you know, I, I remember, and that's why one of the profound things even in doing some of this medicine work, I think many people need the psychedelics to be cracked open, to realize that the eye that they're focused on isn't really the game. It's really something beyond the eye. And this to me is why we need that. I'm not saying everybody should be on psychedelic. It's just a doorway. Once you've got to do, go through the doorway, you have work to do. You have to walk down the hall. You have to see what else is there in the house and, and so on. And this is where meditation practice, this is where spending more time caring for those around us than just ourselves is where we start to feel contentment. I'll just say one more thing with that is that we have in our body, one of the things that the medicines click on is it affects our serotonin in the brain. And so much of what our world is about, all the addictions is dopamine. Dopamine gives you, a, I feel good, but then it goes away. I feel good, then it goes away. And so whether we're talking about heroin, crack, uh, sugar, buying, all of these dopamine things makes the eye feel better and then it crashes and we keep looking for the eye instead of realizing that instead of always trying to get high all the time with something else like making more money. And I've been in the nonprofit world forever and now I've run this retreat center here and I was originally going to do it as a nonprofit, but I couldn't do it as a nonprofit in Costa Rica because I had to borrow money and stuff like that. And now all of a sudden it's made money and people start coming to me. Do you want to do more? Should we set up a few more retreat centers? I go, no, I'm really content. I'm really, enough is enough. If I can do something to help people, fine. But if, and I can, I'm happy to help people set up retreat centers. I just don't want to do it again. I'm happy. But I'm you also happy. did it. You also did it for 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 quite a while. So I mean, I could not agree more. Um, and I wonder because before I dive deeper into a critical appraisal of the third wave of psychedelics and how I really think this also needs again some discernment so that people complement their peak experiences with state training and curious to riff off that with you. But before we do that, I have, I have a very undiplomatic ask. Let's stay with the gurus list. And instead of bashing, unless you want to bash one or two people back in the 70s, you don't have to, is like, what are the couple of absolutely outstanding teachers or maybe also personal experiences that you had over the last decades. I'm really just curious because some of the people I never met, some of the people I only read the transmission or, or heard the transmission and was already powerful. Yeah, so curious, like what are your superstars? Well, I, you know, I already mentioned Uh, Ram Dass and Joan Halifax. And I really consider these two utterly, their, their quest is for deeper realization, 
and their quest is for helping others. As Ron Dust wrote books, How Can I Help? As the work of, of Joan Halifax now, who, who Pi Center, where I'm going next week, she has become world-renowned, and it's really about how can she give out into the world. Uh, my dear friend John Kabat-Zinn, who really put so much work into the whole realm of mindfulness, uh, Emma Chodron uh, and her teaching. And then I'm very profoundly affected by the teachings of many of the, the great Tibetan teachers. And I would say, though, I did long practice with Zen meditation, and I got very involved with Sufi practice. The reason I feel so drawn these days, and that it is the path that I follow, which is Tibetan practice, is that I have a book I read quite frequently and just read it over and over. And these are passages from some of the Tibetan teachers from the year 900, from the year 1000, from the year 1100. And I read it and it speaks to me as coherently and clear as if someone was writing it today. So you, one gets a sense that the recognition, the inner recognition that they had then is as relevant as what we can have right now. So the issue with the varying teachers is whether or not they're telling people what to do or they're actually listening with the people as to what's coming up. And they're not making themselves as I know you don't know. And I've seen too many teachers who know, and then someone else feels that they don't know, so they better listen to the teacher and give teacher money and then bow down to. You know too many teachers who would never let somebody bow down to them because we're on the path together. And maybe one person is a little bit ahead, and then you're saying, come along. And then you find somebody, we're, we're, all, we're all in this together. And that together is where it's most important because too many of the teachers that lead people astray are really focused on the I. And I've seen so many scandals over the years about that. And the scandals come for a reason, because someone has held themselves up to be, and then all of a sudden it realizes, hey, there was a, you know, a false bottom to the whole thing. And that I've met many teachers who are really profound, but they're also willing to say where they're working on it. I would find that with Ramdas all the time. He would be like, he would say, oh yeah, but I'm still messed up in a certain way. And I appreciated that. It was still the humanity. So to me, one of the ways of evaluating a teacher is not someone who knows. It's just somebody who's on the path perhaps a little bit ahead of us. So when Thich Nhat Hanh would come to Omega, and I remember the first time he was at Omega, I'm sitting in my office talking to two people. And this was in the early days, so he didn't have a large group of him, and we had a garden, and he was walking through the garden, and it was just a very slow way he would walk, just step by step, and everybody following the very deep meditation, I remember looking out and I became 
completely transfixed by watching him walk. I forget who I was in a meeting with or what we were talking about, but I could feel dropping into that presence that he was holding. And he wasn't holding it just for himself. He was holding that for everybody who was there to help bring them into that field that right now in our world, we need people who help us step into that field and recognize that we're all here together and we're just doing our life and how can we help each other?